0: I hope you're doing well this morning we are um, wrapping up our series here we've been in the book of Galatians for the last few weeks and uh, I my prayer has been that not only will you have seen new things through reading this book but also that maybe you've learned some things that have kind of unsettled your life just a little bit maybe some tensions that have been created for you to really start to get a different lens on the way that you look at life and that you look at the way scripture should be lived out and just kind of saying you know as we go through Galatians, your lens would be, I've noticed that maybe that I'm trying to work for something that God's already given me. Maybe you're trying to get him to love you more. Maybe you just want him to be proud of you. And sometimes we allow things that we feel here on Earth, towards maybe our family, that we'll, we, maybe our father figures, that we really want to earn our Father's love, that God's going, you can't look at it the same way. I already love you for who you are. There's no act, there's no action that needs to take place. Grace has already come upon you. And so this weekend, what I want to do is we wrap this this series up. And like I said last week, we could have taken Galatians and we could have probably gone, I don't know, at least 20 weeks worth of sermons with this because there's so much content. So I'm sure at some point we'll swing back around to the book of Galatians. But just a quick recap for those who may not have been here. Galatians chapters 1 through 4 was dealing with this theme of salvation by grace, where Paul's telling the church, because they have been deceived by these false teachers, of saying it's not about what you do that makes you have a relationship with God. It's about the grace and what God has already done that allows you to have a relationship with Him. The only thing that we do is just live our lives out in that, to express back to God what He has done for us and living the way that He would have us to live. So these false teachers had told them, no, 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 that's not the way it works out. The way it works out is you got to do all these things, and, and the Gentile people, you got to become more Jewish if you want to have a relationship with God. So Paul is debunking that myth, and that's what he does here through chapters 1 through 4. He's saying salvation is by grace alone, not by, not by works. It is by grace through faith alone. And then we jumped into Galatians 5 last week, and it tells us of what things that we can expect. If we align our lives with that of the Holy Spirit, it begins to give us, these are the things that your life would look like. You begin to produce these fruits, so it said. These fruits of the Spirit begin to come out of your life, and you begin to live completely different because your life looks different because you're spending time hearing from God. And this morning, we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter six flows out of everything that we've talked about over these last couple of weeks. Paul's ending this book, he's ending this letter to these churches, these assemblies of churches. And he's he's wanting them to understand how these things relate to one another. Everything that I've written in these letters, how all this stuff comes together, and how they relate when we walk with Jesus, when we are spirit-led. So here's the question that we're gonna ask and attempt to answer in a couple of different ways today. How do we live together as sinners saved by grace? How do we live together as sinners saved by grace? Because remember, the Jewish people said, You got to do all these things. The Gentiles in Galatia said, Well, because Jesus already has forgiven us and we've done these things, then we have a license to do whatever we want because we're already forgiven. And then Paul steps in and says, No, your way's wrong, your way's wrong. This is spirit. There's a spirit way to do this, of hearing from the Holy Spirit and following through with those things. And remember in Galatians chapter five, verse 14, Paul says this. For the whole law, the entire law, is fulfilled in one word, that you shall, what's that word? Love. Love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Paul's echoing the words of Jesus in John chapter 13. You remember there was an adulterous woman And they were trying to ask Jesus this question of going, hey, out of all of the laws, these were the teachers in the synagogues, the Pharisees, saying, Jesus, out of all the laws, out of all the commandments, out of all ten, which one is the most important? Because here's what they were trying to do. They knew if Jesus picked one of those laws out of the others, then he was going to elevate one, and that was going to be the death penalty for him. They were trying to trick him up. And Jesus said, what's the greatest law? Love God and love your neighbor. That's the greatest law. And they're going, well, that's not the Ten Commandments. But yes, it was. Because the first part of the commandments about you know, not taking the Lord's name in vain, to not having any other gods before him, those are all about our relationship with God. So love God. Jesus summarized the first few commandments. And then he follows with the rest and he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Do not murder, do not covet, So Jesus was summarizing all 10 commandments into those two phrases of telling us, you love God and you love people. So here Paul is echoing that same sentiment, those same words of saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself because the Jewish people knew what he was talking about. They knew. And so the opening of chapter six showcases what it looks like if we act out on the law of Christ and love our neighbors as ourselves. So it's interesting because in Galatians chapter six, Paul's telling us how to love one another but the majority of the first five verses of Galatians chapter 6 is telling us how to guard ourselves first before we love each other because sometimes I feel like we give too much of ourselves too soon in relationships and it comes back to bite us and Paul's like we're gonna ease into this because before you can go and do what I'm fixing to put out here you better watch yourselves first you better check your heart first And make sure that you have things lined up and you're hearing from the Spirit. Because when we go out to start tackling sin and to preach the gospel, there comes a strong opposition against the gospel. And he's saying, you've got to be Spirit-led hearing from me so you know what to speak, what to say, and when to act. And we're going to get more on that in just a minute. And Paul's saying, guard yourselves in these first few verses. And there's an importance to that, understanding that. He's protecting us. Because he's saying, if we don't guard ourselves then we will not know how to love each other because if we're not guarded we're gonna be playing defense and offense and going back and forth and fighting against oppositions and fighting against people and the fruits of the Spirit aren't gonna be coming out of us it's gonna be the other things that Paul had listed right before he lists the fruit of the spirits so he says that you have to guard yourselves. you can't help other people who are entangled if you're not watching yourself because you too will become entangled in the same mess And look what he says here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Did y'all hear that part? I just want to read that again. You should restore him in a spirit of gentleness and keep watch on yourself, lest that you too be tempted. So back to the question. How do we live together... As sinners saved by grace, number one, we have to restore one another. Restoration has to happen. Because where there are sinners and saints, there are sure to be headaches and heartache. But we have to be in the business of restoration. Restoration is helping people who have fallen or, or even have gone to the side and stepped away from what is right, And we have to help restore them to get them back onto the place that they need to be to walk. So this restoration, the word restoration actually paints this picture of resetting a bone. Anybody ever had a bone reset? Like just this last week I had my scapula put back where it belonged. For some reason it just kind of drifted. It does its own thing, I guess. But it had to get put back where it belonged. And that's not even painful compared to some of you who have broken bones. And they have to break it to fix it. You got some of you have been there, know people. Some of you are just cringing, just thinking about it right now. But he's using this this word picture that restoration is like resetting a bone, because when you break it, sometimes it has to be reset when it goes to the side and your finger is like this, and you play basketball, and then all of a sudden it's at an L shape, and that's not normal, and it's got to be reset. Paul says that if anybody is caught in any of these transgressions, sin, sin. If he's caught, as in he's been caught, like not, ooh, I got you, I caught you, look what you did. More like, I'm caught in this, I'm hooked, I'm entangled. I think of like being caught in in thorns, like when you walk into the woods and you get caught and you got 15 thorns all over you, and the more you swat, you get spider webs and more thorns all in your skin, and this is kind of what Paul is saying, he's saying that When you get caught or entangled or trapped in, it's it's becoming habitual. Like this is a thing that you just do. It's become a habit of sin, just falling into the same thing. It's this pattern of being enslaved. So Paul says when they're caught in transgression, we restore. He says when we see other people entangled into sin, our job, our ministry, our calling as a body of Christ is to bring restoration to those people. But in order for you and I to restore people, to help bring and point towards restoration, we have to set the stage and make room for them to be able to be vulnerable. Because a lot of times people don't want to talk about the mistakes they made, talk about the sin they make because they're so concerned either about the shame that's coming off of them, Or they worry about the judgment that they're going to receive. Could you just agree with me that overall as a universal church, we have not done a good job of creating spaces of grace and vulnerability for people. And we're trying to figure out why nobody looks more like Jesus and everybody just fights constantly. And so Paul's warning us that these people are trapped. Give room for them to be vulnerable. Give room for them to, it's not accepting the sin, but it's giving some margin for them to feel safe to talk about it. Because we're going to talk to them like Jesus would talk to them. We're going to love them through it like Jesus would love them through it. We're going to give them grace because Jesus gave us grace. And so Paul's going, hey, restore them. But if we're all honest, a majority of the time, when we find out that somebody's caught in something, it's not grace that we want to go to. Isn't it true that we automatically have our own opinions and thoughts on what happened? Well, they had that coming then. Well, that's their fault. Like, we go ahead and put conditions on why we think that happened. We already go ahead and create this narrative in our head of why these things have happened. What I've noticed about this verse when we read it, the passage doesn't say to judge those who are trapped in sin. But that's our first thing. That's just, for some reason, our natural disposition is to go after people when they mess up and just say well this is what they've done because that's the fight against the flesh that Paul was warning us about that we when we're in the spirit those things become a lot easier to battle because the spirit fights that for us versus in the flesh so we, we have this piece that we want to judge when people are entangled but the truth of the matter is restoration and judgment do not go together at all and whenever we have restoration you can't have judgment because people will not be, re- be restored and have to hear what you have to say and open up to what the Spirit is trying to tell them because they're in a protection mode. They're worried about what's going to happen and what's going to be said. I-, I think it's probably fair to say, well, I'll get, I'll get to that in a minute. Dealing with sin should always have restoration in mind. Helping people be repaired. Helping people put back together. Getting people back on the track that they're supposed to so moving toward the right things again getting that person back where they're supposed to be paul continues in in verse one he says you who are this is really important when you see the people that have been entangled and caught and trapped in sin he's how do they get out you who are spiritual right that's important Because we got a lot of people trying to help people out that aren't spiritual. Because they're not hearing from God, but yet they want to give godly advice to people. That's dangerous. He says, you who are spiritual, you should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Being entangled in sin is a spiritual issue. And sin always requires a spiritual solution. We try to fix, we do everything we can to try to fix sin issues with everything outside of the spiritual. We will never tackle sin unless we hit it head on with the gospel, period. There's not enough self-help books. There's not enough Enneagram tests. There's not enough Myers-Briggs. Those things do not help spiritually get people where they need to be. The Bible does. They may expose some things. But only Jesus can expose to fix, because it, when it is, no matter what it is in your life, when it's a sin issue, the only solution is a spiritual solution, and that is Jesus. So we need people that point towards that. Then Paul says that in order to do this, because we're going to be getting messy, because we deal with messy parts of lives of people, because we're all broken, messy, flawed people. Paul says you've got to restore him in the spirit of gentleness, be gentle because when you've done something wrong when your kids have done something wrong unless they just did it intentionally just to get at you they typically are kind of shy and standoffish and in denial because they're worried about what consequence is coming behind them and so we have to talk to them and God and, and God does us the same way He just talks us through what you've done there's a consequence but he talks to us differently he says there's a spirit of gentleness, Which means to, that you're clear in your intent that I'm not going to harm you. I'm not going to hurt you. Nothing that you say I'm going to use against you. We would say that we're trying to help people without hurting people. Because a lot of times we help and bring a lot of hurt with the help that we're trying to give. And so he says we're, we're trying to help without hurting. It means that when we're communicating with people and trying to restore them and help them become untangled with this gentleness that we've got to lead ourselves with brokenness. We've got to talk to people and communicate with humility and with tenderness to people. And you may say, well, if I talk to that person, I don't have humility and tenderness. I I'm just, just got to tell you, you did something stupid. Well, you may not be the person to talk to them right now. Now, if the Holy Spirit tells you that, go for it. But better make sure he tells you that. I mean, Paul did call these people idiots, Remember? He said, but communicating this way should be easy if we'll just stop and remember that Jesus restored us and how he was gentle with us, how he was graceful with us. It should change our tone of how we talk to people when they too find out that they've been entangled in the sin. So understanding that us helping people is not excusing sin or just being an ear to listen. It is helping them work towards being restored. That's what Paul's saying, because this is what Paul's modeling out to the people. They've been entangled in a sin, and he's restoring them. There's some strong words, but there's a lot of grace and a lot of love in it, because you notice that Paul keeps pointing back to Jesus. Now, Jesus said this. I'm quoting Jesus to this. You heard this, but Jesus said this. And so, if we're getting involved to help bring someone back to proper working order and and being a part of the process, the spiritual Restore others in gentleness. But the most important part here that Paul is saying, because he's saying, it. remember in chapter 5, he said that one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. In other words, if you're not spending time with God and hearing from the Holy Spirit, do not speak into the life of other people. Because that's not wise counsel. Because we don't speak based off of opinion. Well, I think you should. Well, here's what the Scriptures say. Read this, let's pray together. Let's see what the Holy Spirit's trying to tell you through this scripture. And it's a different take. So Paul's saying, those who are spirit, those who are being spirit-led, how do I know I'm spirit-led? Are these fruits evident in your life? Is there restoration that has happened in your life? Speak into it. And so he's calling them to this accountability. He says, before you speak to anybody's sin, before you attempt to restore anybody. Stop and examine yourself to make sure that you are hearing from God, at least that you would be hypocritical and Paul says in six one, keep watch on yourself. don 't worry about what everybody else is doing. Watch what you're doing. Watch your heart. you don't control everybody. you can control you. I have a word for you. I have a purpose for you. don't worry about everybody else's purpose and every." You worry about it because if you'll do what you do and stay in your lane, I'm going to allow you of the fruits that are taking place in your life to pour over and spill over into other lanes to help other people. So Paul goes, keep watch on yourself. And at the end of verse 1, it says, if you're working for restoration, keep a watch on yourself. Why is this? Because spirit-led people are not immune to sin. We forget that we forget that we're, we will fall in sin as much as anybody else. This is why confession is such a big deal. This is why we confess our sins to one another because it's constantly reminding us of the power of the cross that's redeeming and working through our lives, that God is constantly having to restore us and put us back on the right track because when I realize where I'm at and where I came from, it should change the way that I communicate with people. It should change the way that I, I minister with people because I am not immune to sin you are not immune to sin so when restorations happen you and I may be tempted with I don't know let's say pride if you succeed and the person's restored or maybe maybe they're not moving anywhere and you become bitter or maybe it's going way too slow and you experience anger you'll be tempted to experience these things in the middle restoration and Paul saying "Now watch yourself because you too will come entangled in that mess if you're not careful you got to help but you got you can't help unless you hear you got to hear from God here's the second thing how do you live together as sinners saved by grace we carry each other's burdens carry each other's burdens this is the tricky part this is the hard part and this is the part that we really have to navigate because if we don't hear from the Holy Spirit on this specific thing we will end up carrying things that we were never intended to carry, and it will weigh us down on the journey that God has put us on. He says in Galatians 6:2, "Bear one another's burdens. And and here's his promise, if you do this, if you do that, so you fulfill the law of Christ. Like you do what Jesus has asked you to do. You're doing what Jesus did for us. He bared our sin on a cross. He carried the burden that we couldn't carry. So our job is not to tell those who are carrying heavy burdens around how much they've messed up. It's not to proof text their life and say, well, if you would have done this, you wouldn't have come. Broken people don't need to be told that they're broken. Jesus said, I didn't come to tell them that they're sick. They knew they were sick. I came to help them. So we point out so much. And and people need to know when they mess up, but there's such a graceful way to do that besides standing on a street corner with a big sign telling them that they're going to hell. They probably know that. But what they don't know is, well, how do I change that and have a loving relationship with this God that I don't even know who He is? I'll tell you how. By people who are being Spirit-led. People whose lives are being produced or producing these these fruits of the Spirit. He, He says we carry burdens notice when Jesus was dealing with the adulterous woman he didn't quote the Ten Commandments to her when she was down on that ground when people were holding rocks over her he didn't call and say you know why you're thrown on the ground you know why you're here you know you deserve this Jesus never took that approach you know what he said probably some of the most powerful words in all the scriptures my dear go and sin no more Jesus released her of her baggage. In that moment, he carried her burdens so that she can get up from that place. And she had a new story to tell when she got up of the day that Jesus met her and carried her burdens and her whole life changed. We have to remember that even though bearing one another's burdens is a command, it puts you and I as believers in a pretty vulnerable position because it can begin to put us in the thing that thinking that we're the ones making this happen we're the ones bringing this restoration to our life we're the ones that are whatever like we become we become the thing and we we should not be the thing restoring people we should be the thing pointing to the one who's bringing the restoration but it's vulnerable that's why i keep saying watch yourself watch yourself because we're full of ourselves, and we got to be cautious in that so he's saying when you're bearing these burdens It's a command, do it, but you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position, be spirit-led, hear from God. If not, you will find yourself in burnout mode. A few years years ago, I was um, studying some counseling pieces and ran across this guy named Mike Foster. And we taught some of his um, principles to some people on on proper counseling. But one of the things I want to show you very quickly is how do you effectively help carry someone's burdens without falling into the trap, without being burned out. Here's a couple of things that I think that we can all use. And number one, you gotta remember when you carry in people's burdens, you are not the doer. Got it? So simple to say, but it's very difficult to do. Because don't we always wanna be helped when we're talking to somebody? Sometimes what the Holy Spirit needs us to do when we're helping people is just to put our hands over our mouth and just listen. And let him do work and let people feel tension for a few minutes just asking questions and not trying to give our advice we have to understand that we cannot change people and if we try to we're gonna end up in a lot of disappointment God's the only one that can change people so as we're helping to bring restoration to those entangled into sin we have to always remember this is God and I'm gonna hear from God what he wants to do in the situation and at the end of the day no matter what happens I'm going to be obedient and God's going to be glorified because I'm not the doer. So recognizing that will help us avoid that temptation. Here's the second one. Not every need, this one's going to free you. Not every need has your name on it. You don't have to go and meet every burden and every little thing that happens is not necessarily yours to deal with. Well, I thought we were supposed to help everybody. Well, if you're spirit led, he's going to lead you to the ones that you need to be with. Can I give you a case in point? There's a story that Jesus went to the pool of Bethsaida and he's healing people. He's been healing people in his whole ministry and he gets to the pool of Bethsaida and they had this little rumor going on that at this pool, the waters at certain times would stir. And the and the myth was that it was an angel that's wings that were spreading and this water would flourish and move. And the first person that could get into that pool would be healed. So you have this crippled man that's sitting there. The scripture gives us these indications that there could have been somewhere upwards of 15,000 people gathered around this small pool. And the first person out of 15,000 to get in that pool would be healed. And this crippled man, the Bible tells us, laid there day after day after day after day. What a cruel punishment. Thinking that he was going to, as crippled, can't even walk, that he was going to be the first one in the pool. But he held out hope and bought into this false teaching that he had heard. And then one day Jesus shows up. And Jesus get this if there were 15,000 people and we read that passage one person got healed that day Jesus walked past 14,999 people to get to that one person what does that mean not every fire is yours to put out not every burden of someone else is yours to deal with but you have to be spirit led so that you know Because if you don't, you get in over your head. And and it's really hard to get back out of that because we, we struggle and we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to say things. And it causes some stress with us. So not every need has your name on it. Because if we're tempted to help every person, we will not help anybody. Here's the third thing. Wag your tail and not your finger. Be excited for people. Be excited that they opened up and told you that I am stuck in this and I don't know what to do. Not be excited at the fact that they're stuck in something, but be excited at the fact that they were open and honest and want to deal with it. Be excited. Don't wag your finger at them. Well, you did wrong, so you know what you did. Just think about your dog. When you come home, your dog goes ballistic runs down the stairs or scratches the door and slobber all over you and his tail's wagging he's beating everything off the off your tables because he's so excited to see you that when we encounter and help people that's how they need to view us is that we're, we're happy to help you we believe the Holy Spirit has called us to do this don't point fingers wag your tail here's just the last thing with that don't no red capes allowed no red capes people don't need to see you as the hero remember I, I said this all the time that if you tell the stories and Jesus is not the center of that entire story and the one that made that in sti- then you need to retell the story because it hasn't been told right Jesus should always be the end of that story of getting the glory for it. he says no red capes because here's what people need people need equals this is why it's hard for me sometimes to talk to people when they find out what I do for a living they automatically think that I got when I graduated from college And got a Bible degree and went to seminary that part of that degree is they handed me the spiritual elevator card that apparently I can go much higher than you can go but the truth of the matter is I didn't get any kind of an elevator card and some of you in this room are probably way more spiritual than I am because I am a broken flawed person because remember what we said spirit led people are not immune to sin and this is why sometimes that you can have conversations with people that are far more reaching and far more powerful than anything that I could say to anyone. Because they see you as an equal even though I'm an equal. People need to know they're equals and not heroes. We need to lead from our brokenness. Try some of these statements. You know, I, I did, don't make it about you, but let them know I've been there too. I've been hurt, I've done this, I've done that. Hear from the Spirit and lead with brokenness. Because in this bearing, when, what he's saying is when we do these things and we're bearing loads of people, What's happening is you and I are actually fulfilling the law of Christ to love each other, to love God and love one another. It's the summarization of the whole law loving God with your whole being and loving your neighbor as yourself. So we have times when we may struggle and wish that someone could help us through something, and when we see others going through that same thing that we ought to help them the way that God has helped us in a similar fashion, or others have helped us. Think about some of the worst things that you've ever been through and you had godly influence. Speak into that what your life looked like when you had somebody that you knew cared for you, that spoke truth with the gospel into your life and were praying for you. I bet you got through that situation a lot faster. And you heard from God a lot better when you have people to walk with. Here's the, here's the, the other thing of how we live We've already touched on this, but we examine ourselves every day. Not just examine. Every day we need to be examining ourselves. We need to take a, we need to take a good look at what's going on inside. Because our hearts are idol-making machines. Because we will make idols out of everything. We will shift our focus towards everything besides God. So examine ourselves. Paul drops this on them in verse 3-4. through four. He says, For if anyone thinks that he's something when he is nothing he deceives himself now some of you want to just take that verse and send it to some people don't you I was hoping that was my first thought when I read it but when I first read it I felt like oh gosh that stung like that hurt just a little bit he says if you think you're something and you're not you're just deceiving yourself but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone do work on your own because he's saying I'm telling you to be spirit-led, but if you're not spirit-led, then what happens is you're going to start depending on yourself, and you're going to be boasting not of God, but when you're trying to help people carry burdens and help people become unentangled, you're going to start praising yourself. He said, Paul's just pointing them back to a spirit-led life, and he says, but let each one test his own work, and then this reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. But look what Paul says, for each will have to bear his own load. You do that, you're going to have to carry that load. I hate to be the one to break this to everybody, but we're not as holy as we think we are. I wish we were. Thank God that He loves us where we are and that He redeems us and He wants us to be made into the very likeness of Him, living out these principles. Self-examination is the most important aspect of a Christian life because it keeps us from self-deception, of thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. Without taking the time to reflect on all of our desires and our thoughts, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're exempt from repentance, like we don't need it because we're good. But when conviction sets in and we begin to examine, we won't become blind and numb to struggles that we're unaware of. Looking at ourselves subjectively is the key. Like, don't counsel yourself. It's a bad idea. Hear from God and hear from those around you that love God. Let them speak into you. Let the Holy Spirit speak into you first before you let people speak into you. Is that, that's probably a good point, right? That was free. I didn't have that written down, but that's probably really good advice. And so just like in Galatians chapter 5:26, Galatians 6:3 teaches us that the way that we view ourselves has a direct effect on our ability to be useful in the lives of other people. Apart from God's choosing, Christ's atoning and, and the Spirit's leading, you and I are nothing without that. So we can't forget our place at the foot of the cross, because at the foot of the cross, we're empty-handed. And incapable of even meeting the most basic of needs. So how do we live together as sinners saved by grace? Number four, we sow to the Spirit. We sow to the Spirit. Throwing it out there. We sow to the Spirit. He starts in verse six. He says, let the one who has taught the word share all the good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. And that's the second time we've heard that word, isn't it? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, who, uh, for whatever one sows, that will also he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, will he will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Here's the question that Paul's is asking. Is your faith, is it self-serving? Is it self serving Because if it is, you're in trouble. If it is, there's some disappointment coming. If you live life from your own benefit and your expressions of faith have selfish desires behind them, it's all going to end bad for you. It's not going to end good because we're going to come up empty-handed at the end and burn out and never truly experience the true joy and fulfillment that Jesus wants to give us, Ever. And Paul's warning them of this. He says, the Christian walk is not about us. God loves you. God pours himself out for you. He pours himself out to redeem you and to reconcile you to himself. But the life that you live now is not your own. It really never was. It's God's. So he says, do not be deceived. So don't think highly of yourself. Remember, you're you're who you are because of me, God, your Father. Don't be deceived. And it's interesting because this word deceived here in Greek is the word that actually means to be led astray. To be led astray. And this is where we get our um, English word because the actual word is Plano. And we actually get our English word planets from this word deceived. Because the ancient Greek people used stars for navigation before the fancy GPS and before Siri would... um, before that would work it was stars and they would use these stars from navigation but some stars were unreliable guides because they seemed to wander the sky and they could never figure out why things were moving a little bit and so the Greeks called these wandering stars or Plano planets or deception and so we can be deceived so easily we can just be deceived And Paul says we can look at moving circumstances and forget that God has built this law into the universe that you sow and you will reap whatever you plant that's what will grow up if you grow and sow hatred then you're gonna reap hatred if you sow self-centeredness then the end results not gonna be what you think it's gonna be and he says it just takes time So, sow what you will, but if you sow these fruits, these seeds, the harvest is going to be great at the end of this, because other people benefit from the fruit. He says, if you sow to the flesh, you reap corruption, and if you follow the flesh instead of following the Spirit, don't expect to bear the fruit of the Spirit, because you're not going to get those fruits. Instead, he said, "If if you don't plant these things, if you don't sow what the Spirit's doing in your life, then what's going to happen is... You can expect to to have decay, and you can expect to have destruction and pain and frustration and emptiness. These things come with that. So we have to assume that sowing into our flesh on a daily basis affects every action that we have. It affects every conversation that we have, every interaction that we have with people. It affects our entire environment. And just because we're believers, we shouldn't think that we can escape a destructive outcome when we habitually cultivate this kind of lifestyle he says it's a reaping and a sowing it is natural you put apple seeds in the ground and apple trees come out and to expect that I don't know whatever fruit you want orange tree is going to pop up from the apple seed that's not going to happen because whatever you sow you will reap Paul's message to the Galatians was quite simple with this be spirit led And teach people what it is that God is telling you. And hearing what God is telling them, it will make us way more aware of what's going on. So this message, Paul goes on to say, hey, this is a lot of stuff coming at you at one time. But don't quit. Don't quit. Keep your head up. Because I tell people all the time, when when they're stressed out and they feel like life is falling, I'll say, keep your head up. Because if you're looking upwards, you're seeing God. You're hearing from God. Keep your head up. Push forward. Paul knows that they're faced with this temptation of legalism. they got legalism in one hand, and they've got this liberty in the other hand, and many of Paul's converts in Galatia were beginning to lose heart because now they're being defeated. Emotionally and spiritually, they feel that they're defeated. And having begun well in the life of the Spirit, they were doing what they are supposed to and got off track, and now they were in danger of losing their first love. They had become deviated from witness and service into bickering and being greedy and having self-concern. And Paul's final point, point, this is how we live together as sinners saved by grace, we do not grow weary of doing good. We don't grow weary of that. To these fatigued and spiritually exhausted Christians, Paul was making this appeal to him. Don't give up. Yeah, you messed up. But this is restoration. And where there's restoration, there are new mercies every day. That God just pours out his mercies on us. He pours out his grace on us. Don't get all bummed out that you messed up yesterday. Pick your head up. Do good. Keep moving forward. Yeah, we all get off track. And Paul says in verse 9, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, now that's the thing that I want to know. Like, when is due season? Because I feel exalted. Like we have done all these things and we're going and going and going. When is due season? When do we see it? You may never see the impact that God has in your life on this side of heaven. Well, when's it going to happen? When due season. When is due season? Whenever it's due. Whenever God says this is it, this is the season, it's done. Some things come come to season very quickly and we get to see them and some things don't. But he's saying it doesn't matter because in due season, we're going to reap if we do not give up. So then as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who have the household of faith. Paul's using this play on language here. And he says, he's, he's already said that you will reap what you sow. But this time he's saying, if you sow in the Spirit, you will reap eternal life. He's going to come back around to this thought. He's going he's to use this word reap again to tie it back to what he just said. Okay, Because he, he tells us, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So he's saying, here's why you don't grow weary in doing good to people who are thinkless and cold and walk in the sense of entitlement because when you were thinkless and when you were cold and you were walking around in a sense of entitlement and you didn't deserve anything, God extended His grace to you because what God sowed, you now reap. You reap the benefits of what God did. He says, We don't do good for other people. Because of reciprocity, because if I do, if I do these things, and I'm going to serve because God says I serve, and if I serve, then God's going to bless me back. That's not why he's saying you do that. What he's saying is you serve people because it's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's the outpouring of, these, of all of these fruits of the Spirit coming out. We don't do good to others because of what we would get out of it. We do it because it's what God has commanded us and it's his will. And that's how we help to bring restoration to the world. So our motivation for doing good to others is that good has been done to us in Christ when we were not worthy of that good. So our standard of doing good to others can't be only because we want the favor to be returned to us. as coming out of the wrong motivations of our hearts the gospel frees me frees you to do good to all men even the exhausting ones even the ones that need a lot more grace the gospel frees me to do good to them as we close I want you to hear how Paul is closing this letter to this church He's saying that when you live under grace and truly recognize what God has done for you, you'll view the world and view the people through the eyes of God. Because loving God will allow you to love people. You don't like a lot of people? Go back and check the relationship with God. Because you can't love God, and not as people. You can't love God, and not his church. You, you saw, he said, take, and especially the household of faith. What was he saying about that? This is Paul's little subtle way of going, hey, I know some of you are messed up. Matter of fact, I know every one of you sitting in this room are messed up. I too am messed up. So let's not think because we're the church that we've got it all figured out and got it together. We don't. Paul's pushing them, reminding them that the law will hold them back from freedom in Christ, from true liberty. But Spirit-led living, they will reap the fruits of the Spirit. When they die to sin and live in Christ and walk in the Spirit, they will reap the harvest of spiritual fruit. And when this fruit begins to grow within us, it will begin to show outward by the way that we continue to do good to others. Here's the big takeaway right here. We should live our lives to love God and to love others. And we do that by hearing from God and being Spirit-led. Being Spirit-led. Paul closes his whole book out. This verse isn't on the screen. Remember, the whole thing they started over was this little thing of circumcision. Y'all didn't forget that. Paul says in Galatians 6, when he ends this, he says, "See? see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand? He wanted to make sure they saw it. It is those who want to make a good showing in their flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that you may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. But they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. Look what we did. Look what we did. We got them to do this. This is the church acting this way, by the way. He said, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision it's a little weird that was a thing that they were going around boasting about by the way he says and as for all who walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God and I love what here's what Paul says because Paul understood carrying burdens because he was carrying the burdens of the churches he was carrying the burdens of friends listen to what Paul said from now from now on Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. See, the weight that Paul was carrying physically had the scars from. He said, so carrying these burdens is not going to be easy because you too are going to have to be a little vulnerable. You too are going to have to have conversations that the Spirit's leading you to have that you don't feel comfortable with. And you're probably going to come out scarred but look what Paul said. I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Because he realized what he was going through was for God to get the ultimate glory in this and for his church to come alive. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Not foolish people, not idiots like he had referred to them. He closes the book. Your spirit Brothers, amen. Amen. Here's where I want us to be today is to process what does it look like for me to carry the burdens of other people? And I don't think that our job is to carry them. I think part of us carrying is not to physically because Jesus carries the burden. Our job is to point them to the one who will lift the burden off their shoulder. That is bringing restoration. That God wants to forgive you God wants to love you. God has a purpose for your life. And that's what we point people to. But you can't point people to to something or someone that you're not spending time with. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week. But I wanna pray for us. And maybe even in this room that you have questions of going, I don't don't know God like that. I'm struggling, I don't know. Like I I wanna have a conversation with somebody about Jesus. If that's you, when we're done today, come find me. Come find anybody up here on our team that's worshiping, anybody that's doing production, our New here desk, any of our kids. Leave, we would love to tell you the story of what Jesus has done in our life and how, how he found us broken. But I want to pray for you as we get ready to respond today. Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing in this place. And, Lord, that we would love you and we would love other people. And, God, that we would be spirit-led into to hear the things that you would have us to do. And Lord, I just, um, I ask just here in these moments, is there anyone here that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship, they know you by name and they've heard the stories, but God, they don't have a personal relationship with you. I just pray today would be the day that they would just surrender their lives to that. Just right there where they're sitting, just confess you as Lord or give them the the courage just to come and reach out and speak with someone to be prayed for. So as we continue to sing right now, God, I just pray that you would um, stir our hearts. And help us to respond in any way that you've you've called us to today. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.